Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of The Breakfast Pod, your weekly dose of gaming news. Joining me as always is my developer co-host Blue. How's it going everybody? Yeah, it's going pretty good and I'm Steve, forgot to say my name at the start <laughs> of the show. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we, uh, we're going to just jump straight in. A uh, nice, short, quick podcast this week. We're going to start with, oh boy, we haven't, had a, we haven't had a spicy story like this in a while. But uh, Frogwares, the developers of Lovecraftian horror game, The Sinking City, they are fighting very publicly with their publisher, Nakon. Uh, this is, it's a bit of a long story and it's kind of a bit hard and uh, confusing to paraphrase here. But basically, uh, it was about six years, uh, six years, six months ago, maybe even a little bit longer. Uh, Frogwares was uh, saying that Nakon had basically stolen their game. They weren't paying out the royalties for the game. And uh, as a result, the, the game was originally a Epic exclusive, I believe, on PC. And it wasn't coming to Steam because of this. And people were actively like, do not buy the game off Epic because we're not getting any money from it. The Switch version of the game, I think, was the only version that they owned wholly. So they were selling that one themselves. Mm. And then it kind of just disappeared for a little while until about a week ago, it reared its head again um, because the game appeared on Steam under the publisher Nakon. And apparently it was not from the developers themselves, Frogwares. It was a version that had been sort of hacked and unlocked and sliced and diced Mm -hmm. from an older uh, version of the game put on Steam to cut the developer out. Blue, I think you've dug into the forensics of this a little bit more, if you have something to add here. So, if you're interested in this story at all, there's a lot of intricacy in this that we're just not going to cover because there's a lot. but Frogwares themselves have a blog post that co- that goes through everything that they know that they did and all of their proof. And there's a lot of, yeah, digital forensics, fingerprinting, logical leaps. And it all makes a lot of sense for what likely happened, which is that back in, I believe, December, Nacon probably bought the game off of Games Planet decompiled it, which is not an easy thing to do, which is to decompile a game back into source code from a completed one. It's not trivial. And they were able to do this because they probably still had the encryption key that Frogwares uses. Sliced up a bunch of stuff uh, of links to the outside, some anti-piracy measures that link to some live servers and stuff like that. Uh, Stripped out all of Frogwares' iconography on the game, slapped on Nacon's own, and then published it to Steam uh, and have just been selling it. Like immediately requesting keys from um, the Steam servers to be able to resell off on their own and profit off of it. It sounds and looks super crazy. It's absolutely wild. Yeah. As part of this too, the developer, Frogwares, they launched a DMCA takedown against yep. Valve yeah. to get the game taken off Steam. Yep. The the company is currently in a legal battle with Nakon and apparently the the legal system in the Ukraine is like, yo, please don't do any more until the case is sorted. But it seems like Frogwares is not listening to that. And just uh, a few hours ago, Nakon actually did a statement um, to Eurogamer here, which I'm going to I'm going to read out 
Frogwares published an article on March 1st, 2021, accusing Nakon of having pirated the game The Sinking City. Nakon hereby wishes to set the record straight regarding these unjustified accusations. Nakon is contractually the exclusive distributor of The Sinking City game on Steam. Nakon has contributed to the financing of development and the payment of royalties to Frogwares to the tune of 8.9 million euros to date, including the full payment for a version of the game for Steam, making the global investment so far above 10 million euros when integrating the marketing costs. Contrary to Frogwares' allegations, Nakon has paid all amounts due. Today, unless Frogwares is acting in bad faith, it has no reason not to make the game available to Nakon on Steam. In the past, Frogwares has improperly relied on accusations regarding a lack of payment to refuse delivery of the game on Steam, at which point they tried to unsuccessfully terminate the contract. The Paris Court of Appeal deemed this action manifestly unlawful, ordering the continuation of the contract and encouraging Frogwares to refrain from any action that would impede such a continuation. In line with the court's decision, Nakon has repeatedly and unsuccessfully requested that Frogwares make the game available on Steam, failing which it would apply a clause in the contract where, in such a case, the game could be adapted by a third party. Frogwares then attempted, without knowledge of Nakon and in violation of our rights, to make the game available on Steam without mentioning Nakon in its capacity as the publisher. This is therefore clear proof that no technical impossibility prevents the game from being put back on Steam. Despite the blocking situation created exclusively by Frogwares, Nakon has allowed players to access the game on Steam while still expressly indicating the ownership of Frogwares' rights to the game. Frogwares will also receive the royalties generated by Steam sales. By encouraging the gaming community via Twitter not to buy the game on Steam, Frogwares is once again sabotaging our investments in the game. Nakon obviously regrets this conflict for which it is not responsible and for which it did everything possible to avoid. Nakon regrets all the more that Frogwares has demanded the withdrawal of the game from Steam, thus depriving the gaming community of this unique experience provided by The Sinking City. Nakon reserves the right to take legal action against Frogwares for its aggressive and prejudicial comments. Frogwares has been careful not to indicate that all court decisions in the dispute between Nakon and Frogwares has thus far been favourable to Nakon. Complicated. Right. Very complicated. <laughs> I think the thing here is both of these parties are quite unknown. They're very, they're, they're smaller, unknown publishers and developers, at least in mainstream Western gaming. So it's not one of those situations where you can be like, oh yeah, no, they're probably right. They've been good in the past. Like mm. this is a very public smear campaign or cat fight that I don't really, there doesn't seem to be a clear side here. I don't understand why Frogwares would be like, yeah, now nah, this is all this horrible stuff for months and months and months. Right. But I also don't understand why they would come out to Eurogamer just now, knack on the publisher and be mm. like, hey, we've actually paid everything and we've proven that in court and they're still getting royalties. And we've tried to be like, it's quite a civil, but also definitive strong statement. Yeah. This and is it doesn't not- make sense for either party to, to lie in this situation. So I just don't understand what's happening. There's a bit of he said, she said going on here. I think one of the really telling things is that look i haven't checked out the game but it does look like the game on steam has had frogwares's um complete iconography stripped out of it that would not be how it get, gets published on steam, y- yeah right? correct to me that's one of the most telling things like because that's the only like factual thing that we know right i don't have access to court transcripts or decisions or judicial um, decisions or any kind of thing like that one of the things that we can see is just the game on steam itself and what is put on there it has been altered yeah like with and i don't know it uh seems weird is all i i'm not i'm 
don't think Frogwares is completely like clean here. Yeah, probably not in a in a in a situation this messy. Mm-hmm. But uh, how much is as bad as they make it out to be? Mm, hard to say. Uh, I yeah. don't know if we like really mentioned this, but this is also a, an IP dispute which is already messy across two different countries. Mm-hmm. That is so messy. Yeah, yeah. and it's even more uh, upsetting because. Like, there are a lot of Lovecraft games out there, but there aren't a huge amount that has a, have a budget and a production value of The Sinking City. Mm. And it was a game that I was very much looking forward to playing, and I was going to pick it up on Steam. Mm. Uh, I mean, I'm not against the Epic Game Store, but I remember I didn't, I specifically didn't pick it up because there was some of this stuff around the development. Yeah. It's like, I'll just wait. Like, it'll, it'll be sorted Let out. the waters clear but, a bit. Yeah. Um, it is a bit upsetting because i hear that the game while not perfect has a lot of really good nuance mm. and ideas yeah. and it's quite good for a lovecraft game um and it kind of felt like this was going to be like the big one that sort of put that genre and took it out of just the cult thing and be like this is just a good game mm. um so it's sad to see that uh what i guess is a talented studio um just either having their game stripped away or potentially causing drama that's not needed yep. Um, getting in the way of people experiencing the game. Mm. Um, time I, will tell on this, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't have a, a dog in this fight, so to speak. I'm carrying a lot of past bias here with Nicalis. Um, I don't know if you are familiar with that publisher, yeah. but that yeah. the, the story of what Nicalis have done with a lot of IPs that they have managed, and then yeah, I don't know. It is a lot easier here. For the publisher to be in the wrong, which is not to say the developers are in the wrong, uh, sorry, are, are clean, right? Like, I am not saying Nikon is the bad guy here, but it's a lot easier for them to be the bad guy here. Um, I mean, yeah, so. everyone loves the story of the big evil publisher, right? <laughs> kind of, yeah. So don't... And as developers, I, I'm always like, yeah, nah, that's definitely, but there's too there is, much there uh, is def- mud yeah, in this water. There is definitely grounds for Nikon to have done all the things that they said, and that Frogwares just didn't want this relationship to continue perhaps unlawfully you know depending on how the contract is worded you can't just back out of a publishing contract right so i think what is true is that frogwares withheld the game from nakon at some point because both sides yeah. agree on that right yeah. and what action occurred after that whether nakon unlawfully acquired a copy to upload themselves which would be piracy or mm-hmm. um or they did actually have this working copy. I don't know. That one, yeah. Maybe maybe next week we'll know. Maybe a month from now we'll know. And maybe this will never be brought to mass attention again. Because this is happening in Europe. And it's very easy for us to just not get information about this kind of stuff. Yeah, so I don't know. If we get any more updates around this, I think we will check yeah. in on it. Because I'm, I'm definitely curious in this very story. But. Now, moving on to another studio that is uh, in the news. We have Etra Games, who are the creators of Torchlight 3, the developers of Torchlight 3. Mm. Uh, Etra has been purchased and will be joining Zynga, which totally forget that Zynga every, are a brand that exists. Every week. <laughs> every week, yeah. Zynga does something and you go, that's a, that's a studio. Or, or, or you, a label. still around? Yeah. So for those who don't remember, Zynga were the Farmville publishers on Facebook way back in the day. Yeah. And the reason they popped up recently is they got a Star Wars game mm. coming out for the Switch, apparently. I, in my head, um, I don't know why, I keep thinking Zynga's owned by EA. Well, wasn't Don Matrick 
Or someone, one of EA's CEOs left for Zynga. Or maybe it yeah, was Xbox's something CEO. like that. But no, I Zynga yeah. is still independent, right? They're still their own giant conglomeration with obscene amounts of money from all of the Farmville. Like all the Facebook yeah, game days. I, yeah. yeah, I believe so. Frank Gibbo is the uh, CEO right. of Zynga. Uh, that name also seems familiar. I'm actually, I'm going to, let's do, do a little bit of search. Live here. Google searching. Uh, well, live, recorded. Yeah, his board of directors, uh, 25 years of experience. No, don't take me to the Zynga leadership. Uh, well, I guess we're going there. <laughs> yes, Gibbo spent more than two decades at EA, where he held a number of yeah. influential business and product leadership roles. Yeah, that, that. I knew it was something to do with EA. That EA definitely made the news, which is why in my head, I'm, my brain just, short-circuited the two names to be EA owns Zynga now, but that's not the case at all, and well, now Zynga owns Ektra. Yeah, Ektra. so Ektra was uh, founded in 2016 by Max Schaefer, who was a co-founder of Runic, the developers behind Torchlight 1 and 2, and he also worked on the Diablo series, yeah. so he's had a bit of a story what, career. What a, what a legacy that has been, right? Because, yeah, Torchlight 1 and 2... Uh, technically Hellgate London in between. Right? Yes, I believe yeah, so. Before yeah. it was Runic. It was another studio yeah. when they had... And the story goes that they walked out of Blizzard during the Vivendi acquisition. Yeah. Oh, man, I even forgot that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. because... the Yeah, the story goes that... Um, so there used to be a division of Blizzard called Blizzard North. Is that right? They were the ones who handled the Diablo series. Mm-hmm. A lot yeah. of the leads, in, including the, the big writers, the, the like in the 90s, very few people knew developers' names, right? It was like the Romeros and stuff like that. But like some of these people were, let's say, B-list celebrities. They mm-hmm. put an ultimatum up to like to be to say, hey, we want a meeting, a face-to-face with um, the, the people in charge of Vivendi right now who are handling this acquisition. And they just got stonewalled. So they were like, I guess we leave. And they just left. And that's how um, whatever was Runic that became Runic started, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I believe so, too. Um, So, yeah, uh, Torchlight 3, not a great game. Not a horrible game. Mm. It's not a great game, especially given the legacy of that series. I did do a review, if you want to go check that out on YouTube. Um, Out of time, right? But, yeah. Out of its time. Yeah, definitely. It just didn't do enough Mm. to warrant its existence. Um, But, you know, like... I think they did turn it around after a very messy early access launch. Mm. Uh, and they will apparently be working on a new yet-to-be-announced RPG for cross-platform play over at Zynga. Mm-hmm. Um, so the official quote here from Zynga is, Max and his team at Etra Games are responsible for the most legendary game properties ever created, and they are experts in the action RPG genre and cross-platform development. This acquisition will be instrumental in growing our iconic licenses and brands from mobiles to PCs and consoles, while helping to further expand Zynga's total addressable market. So it sounds like Zynga are going to be trying to push into PC and console a little bit more. Iconic license. I'm so curious as to what they have under their belt now. Because I, I think I used to know and I don't anymore. My brain wanted to make a Peggle joke, but no, that's owned by EA. Like, it, the wires are so crossed in my head. Uh, Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. I, I have a funny feeling we probably won't hear of much from Etra again, but yeah. yeah, we'll see, I guess. We'll see. It They may be upfront and honest about making a big action RPG. Maybe they'll surprise us all. I mean, it was a bit of a surprise to me that Zynga are like, yeah, we have a Switch game coming out that's a free-to-play Star Wars Bounty Hunter game. Mm. It's like, that kind of came out of nowhere in left field. Mm. So that was, I don't know, maybe they are making big moves over there. A lot of 
I will say as well, a lot of IP holders in the last year have gotten antsy about what they can and cannot produce, and they have approached... I, I think more game studios have been approached, or maybe more game studios are approaching IP holders to create more of these kinds of, like... To use the IP in the video game space more often, because Star Wars is not exactly... I guess Star Wars is very different, because it was tied up in EA for, like, a decade, and then it went out. And, then it, and now everyone's making a Star it, Wars game. Kind of feels like that. It, it <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> they're gonna have to launch the kind of Netflix for Star Wars, but instead of like being able to watch everything, it's being able to do anything with Star Wars. So you get a subscription yeah. to all of the comics, all of the books, all of the movies, and all the games. A lot of Star Wars. Please stuff. just give me the cyanide now. <laughs> um, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> moving on to another studio that I don't think we're gonna hear much from ever again. Hardsuit Labs, the developers behind the recently indefinitely delayed Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2, mm. they have laid off a bunch of people. They've been laid off uh, numerous staff members. Many of them were from the narrative team behind that game. Mm. And by the sounds of it, and from what we're seeing on Twitter, the team, much like Brian Soda and Clooney, they didn't know they were losing their jobs. They lost their jobs overnight, basically. Yep. Uh, that came a week after the announcement, which I th- we spoke about last week, that Paradox had pulled the development of the game from Hardsuit. And uh, it just continues to add to the trash behind this. I'm not going to talk too much about that history, which, as we said last week, Blue and I are working on a longer form piece that hopefully will be up by the end of the month if all things go well. Mm. But as part of this, we got an update also to Eurogamer here uh, that Hardsuit Labs issued a statement. Ah, sorry, they issued it to uh, Rock Paper Shotgun. While we worked hard to source some great work opportunities for the studio to move forward with, we were unable to provide work for a small number of individuals and thus made the difficult decision to part ways. The decision was not made lightly and was done so only after we felt we had exhausted the opportunities to avoid such a layoff. We sincerely wish the very best to our former colleagues and thank them for their contributions to the studio and our projects during our time here. So there you go. All the developers are saying many people were affected and they're saying, ah, not many were affected. And that kind of sucks. Yep. Um, This to me reeks of heart suit is being gutted. Now that is, none of that is confirmed. (laughs) But that's from the outside. Yeah. That's what it looks like. It looks like there. Um, a lot of people are moving studio slash division. Yeah, internal. it definitely sounds like there's been a lot of mismanagement at that studio. Mm. Uh, the interesting thing is, Paradox actually own a third of the studio. Mm. Um, so I wonder if you know some of the talent jump ship and head over to Paradox mm. as part of this, because Paradox has like a bunch of studios under their belt now. Um. But it sounds to me that this is a sinking ship. And if you are still working there, it feels like you probably don't want to be. It definitely would not. I would not feel very safe here. This isn't a situation like IO Interactive where they, they're they in the position because of a falling out with the publisher, but they all believe yeah. and banded together yeah. to make the game. This is like, you just had the game taken away from you. And during even the development of that process, you completely changed structure and fired a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And once again, inclined to believe the employees, because what do they have to gain from saying I was fired overnight? Yeah. Like nothing much, um, especially, you know, the creative directors. So it sounds like it's a lot of turbulent times over there. And, All the uh, best to be anyone involved in this. But Absolutely. Yeah. Like I never want to see a studio close. No. I mean, it, in this situation, we haven't had... Uh, claims of you know 
any any sort of uh, nefarious claims no. of management or anything no. like that. So it doesn't sound like it's you know like the Skullgirl situation, for instance. No, no, no. It doesn't sound like there's like a management situation that is causing people to want to yep. leave or this friction. Um, but but it just doesn't sound yeah. like it's a very good time. And and it might be as innocent, quote unquote, as money falling through. If if yeah. the studio can't I mean, afford, it happens yeah, all if the time. studio can't afford to play its employees, it you know has to let them go, and it should let them go. That's a responsible thing to do. You don't let people work yep. and then say later down the line you can't pay them. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Good luck to anyone involved with this, and we'll keep an eye out for more news. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And you keep an eye out for a feature coming mm. up. New game announced. Okay, I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine, Blue. Mm-hmm. You're in a dark room. Mm-hmm. You're in a dark room, and then you hear some beeping sounds, and then uh, you're absolutely swarmed by a bunch of xenomorphs, mm. and it's basically Gears of War. But with Xenomorphs. I'm talking about Aliens Fire Team. It was announced. The game that everyone was waiting for. I, I feel like we have... I feel like this game has been in my imagination for like 10 years now. Because it makes <laughs> sense. It makes so much sense. It really does, but I feel like it's too late. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of Horde fans. Um, all joking aside, I if you couldn't tell, I'm not excited by this at all. Mm. But... Aliens Fire Team is set 23 years after the original Alien trilogy. You play as a colonial marine on the USS Endeavor, which is recently tasked with answering your distress call from the outer colonies. Of course, you go to LV-426. Of course you do, because you can't come up with an interesting story for an alien. Well, every time they do, they get slammed for it, so. Yeah, well, yeah, okay, I'll give you that. And yeah, it's basically uh, Gears of War Horde mode. It is coming out on PC, PlayStation, Xbox... Uh, this year, summer 2021, uh, so later this year, it is in development by a studio called Cold Iron Studios, who were made, they developed in 2015, they were from X City of Heroes developers, yep. Star Trek Online and Neverwinter, uh, which, you know, a bit of uh, cachet there, yeah. but I've never heard of the, this studio before. No. And then reading this Eurogamer piece, they... They've been around quite a bit. So mm-hmm. in 2018, they were bought by Foxnet, Fox Next Games, which is the interactive arm of 20th Century Fox. Yes. And then in March 2019, they were bought because Disney bought Fox Next Games. And then in 2020, Scopely, who is a mobile uh, publisher, they purchased Fox Next Games from Disney and got Cold Iron Studios. Mm. And then Scopely were like, yeah, no, nah, they don't fit with us, so we're going to put them up for sale. Um, so then Planetside 2 developer Daybreak bought the studio in August 2020. Then in December 2020, they were sold to Inad Global 7, who had bought Daybreak. So, wow. <laughs> the, <laughs> and they have never released the a game. The remarkable thing about this is that the IP, or at least the rights to make this game, has stayed with the with the studio yeah exactly because you know aliens ip believe it or not considering how many terrible projects are associated with it it's still like quite uh closely guarded by fox is my understanding so it would be one of their cash cows right yeah i don't know it looks like it could be fun but it also looks like it could just be like that latest predator game and only like three people in the whole world are really going to care about it honestly when I say I feel like I've had this game in my imagination, part of it is that there are so many games inspired by this concept already, and it's going to struggle yeah. to find something new to do and say in this space because there isn't enough variety in the Xenomorph lore, officially at least, to fit a game. You have to make something up, and 
anytime you make something up in this lore, it just doesn't seem to yeah. go well. Well, except for Alien Isolation. That barely made anything new. That moved the story forward slightly with, with Amanda, but that's about it, right? Mm. It, it does a lot of stuff that's just very good movie stuff, but in game form. And I think that's why that game worked. Yeah. I don't think this game is going to have the cinematic element to it. To no, absolutely not. It's, uh, yeah, it's just your four-player co-op shooter horde mode. And that works to an extent. It's going to have synthetic enemies and it's going to have xenomorphs mm-hmm. and a bunch of different xenomorphs, I guess. So, I don't know. If they do something cool with it where they have, like, big set-piece moments, mm. I could see it working. Something like... um. Colonial Marines. Like, Evolve's not a good example, but, you know, Evolve where there's, like, the big bad and you're running through these different areas. If they do that, but with, like, an AI thing, essentially, and there's, like, some sort- Each level has a big moment with some sort of special infected and it's, like, randomized every time. Like, I could see that being fun. There's stuff you can do in this space. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. But I do think that they'll end up playing it safe because it's a big IP, and by playing it safe, Mm -hmm. it'll be very boring. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of boring... Oh, no. I don't like these that games transition. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. These games there are There we go. Uh, so, Sony hosted a VR Spotlight event. Uh, of course, we spoke last week that Sony just announced they're doing something with VR, a new headset coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the first time in what feels like a long time, they've dropped a bunch of new, new things. So, we're just going to quickly touch on some of this. Doom 3 is getting VR edition. What a weird game um, <laughs> to bring back. Look, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say I really liked Doom Three. I thought Doom Three was super cool and really moody, and it made my PC melt at the time. I remember landing that thing. Yep. Nothing against it. And I it's think it's just, a great horror it's game. It's just a bit old. That's all. Yeah. So apparently, it's going to include new textures and sound effects yeah. alongside the game's Resurrection of Evil and the Lost Mission expansions. Mm. Uh, it's going to be coming out on the 29th of March. And yeah, I do wonder how much work they've done to it because this game came out in 2004. So um, I've never played it, but from what I understood of the criticisms over time, because the criticisms evolved over time, right? But the one that I mm. felt really stuck to it and had a lot of proof to it was just one of the issues with Doom 3 was the level design. The corridors are extremely claustrophobic, which lends to the horror feel that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. That might work in VR, right? That might make sense in VR because you don't want large yeah. expanses. You want very clear, visible edges to your periphery to be like, I am here in this space, and that works better. So, curious. I am curious. Yeah, definitely. I think the thing that... We're getting way sidetracked. The thing that worked for me... I actually wrote a blog about this on Giant Bomb, Mm -hmm. like, a long time ago. Um, Having the the dynamic of a pistol and a flashlight, and if I'm using other things, I have no light source for this game at the time, particularly, and just looking as good as it did at the Mm. time, was just a really interesting direction for Doom to go. And then to have this sort of more real, like, quote-unquote realistic, because we're talking about a Mars space base with demons, but it felt grittier, it felt more grounded. You did not feel invincible in that game. Exactly. You were always on the edge of your seat, which is what made it feel very strange, I think, for a Doom Mm. game. Like, I totally think they could have just put a different name on it, and a lot of that criticism wouldn't be there. Um, also it was like a time where like, uh, audio logs and, and text logs and stuff were still new Mm. and to have like your first real batch of lore attached to a doom game was super interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Like once again, I haven't really played it for a very long time. And and credit where credit is due light and darkness Mm. and a shooter in the dark is still a challenge to execute today. Killing floor two really tried that by the way, in its initial builds. It sucked. Mm-hmm. It, it just didn't have a good 
flow to it and they dropped it in favor yeah. of game flow so any game that commits to it i i would hardly say doom 3 is perfect at doing this but you know it tried and um, i would hey. prefer a doom 3.5 than a rage 2 let's just say mm-hmm. that That's which i know we got a rage 2 but yeah <laughs> um <laughs> i've never played it i probably should at some mm. point um Rage, that rage was an, oh, that's another thing. Anyway, I'm getting way sidetracked. <laughs> Fract, which is from the developer End Dreams, uh, sets players loose in a mountain fracking facility overrunned by armed interdimensional creatures intent on destroying the world. Mm-hmm. Sounds interesting. Um, Zenith is an expansive JRPG inspired MMO in VR that's coming out. Uh, After the Fall from Vertigo Games is. Now, Vertigo Games are the people behind Arizona Sunshine, Mm -hmm. which is a really, really popular, you know, shooter game in VR. It's a co-op FPS set in the frozen post-apocalyptic remains of an alternate 1980s LA. Mm -hmm. So, super stylish there. I Expect You to Die 2, The Spy and the Liar. Now, have you played I Expect You to Die? I have not, but I was going to say that game is phenomenal. Yeah, this game is rad. I've only I have it, and I've only played a couple of hours of it, and I just absolutely it's, love it. So a, I'm very a, excited to hear this. I, I think my biggest criticism, having not played it, is that it's a bit short. But what yeah. is in I Expect You to Die is really, really cool and really, really fun. I, I think that's like the more important thing. It's that it's not just a cool VR thing; it's a fun VR thing. It's super themed. It's got janky physics that you can screw up, and it's enjoyable. Um, it's set piece puzzle with spy motifs and you know a decent tone. And yeah, it kind of reminds me of um, Thirty Flights of Loving, just in terms of tone and stuff. Um, yeah, I really dig it. And the last one on this list is Song in the Smoke, which is a survival game in VR, and it's got a really cool art style. So all of this stuff is coming to PSVR in 2021. By the looks of it, I think they're all coming to 2021. Uh, and there's no mention on which of these are coming to PC, yeah. um, which that's kind of where VR gets a bit weird because it's the one space where, you know, everything's kind of, it's a console exclusive, but PlayStation have managed to somehow lock up a lot of VR projects that aren't on any other platform, mm. which I think really sucks for the medium, but it is what it is. Yeah. Here's the flip side to that is that some of these may not be made without Sony's support, yeah, right? No, absolutely. So, in in the option in, in the world where the choice is is it console exclusive or or um or ev- on everywhere obviously i want it on everywhere but if the actual decision was does this get made only for playstation or for nowhere then i'd rather it get made to see what we can do at least yeah i i wonder what oculus's uh deals are around that stuff now, mm. now that they've got the quest 2 if they are a bit more stringent because their thing was like we don't care if you put it on psvr as long as we have yep. you know we have the pc store exclusive yeah. for x amount of yep. time that was what the deal used to mm. be so they weren't even like you can't put it on steam and you can't put it on the vive we just need like i think it was actually i, I probably can't say but it was a short time yep. it was a short time i also like that the look on a lot of this reminds me of Dauntless. Yes, I was thinking the same thing, and then it made me want to play Dauntless. But then I remembered Monster Hunter Rise is <laughs> out in like a couple of weeks. So, uh, so we also just quickly going to touch on last week. It happened, I think, right after we finished recording the podcast. Mm. PlayStation did their State of Play mm. event. We're quickly going to just run over the list, and then there was two things I think that we wanted to talk mm. about. Um, so 
uh, Crash Bandicoot 4, It's About Time, had a deep dive that showed off the PS5 enhancements. Mm-hmm. Uh, Returnal had a big gameplay feature that showed a bit more off of that game. Uh, who's the developer behind that? Um, they made Resogun. And house is I want to say house mark is it house mark? Yeah. think it's house mark. Blah, 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 blah. Yes, you are correct. House yeah, mark. I think they're a really interesting studio, and it's yeah. exciting to see them do something that's a little bit different for their skill set. They are really so even if the game isn't. Uh, they are really, really technically competent. So yeah, exactly. They are able to push the hardware to like crazy heights very early in a in a console's life cycle. Yeah, so. and their loops are always fun. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see them try something new, even if it's not entirely original or successful. I'm always interested in what they it's do. It's going to be an, it's such an interesting um, genre. Genre is not the right word I'm looking for here, but it's such an interesting space for this game to exist in because it is narrative, horror, third-person shooter, roguelike. Roguelite, maybe. Yeah. Uh, like, those... All of those things combined with each other creates a very interesting like look and feel in your head, yeah, you know? I agree. Um, Sifu was introduced, which is the new game from the Absolver crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kung Fu experience building up on their amazing combat techniques that they made for that yep. game. So that's coming out this year. Uh, we also had the first gameplay revealed for Five Nights at Freddy's Security Breach, mm-hmm. which I've never really looked at that series, but I know people love it on the internet. It looks better than ever. Uh, it's been a while yeah, since we've gone back to anything FNAF, um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. this is, looks like a big jump back into that world. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Andy's game, <laughs> Oddworld Soulstorm, gets a release date of April 6th, uh, so good job, Andy. Very proud of you, mate. Solely um, his game. Yeah, I don't even know if he listens to this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> uh, Kena Bridge of Spirits, so maybe it's Kena. Kena. I don't know how it's pronounced. Um game looks kind of cool but they had a new gameplay and story reveal mm-hmm. we got a new trailer for death loop death loop looks super sick but we can't really talk about that anymore mm-hmm. and final fantasy 7 remake integrate building on square's amazing ability to name titles and 10 versions of each game uh, was announced for ps5 uh, coming june 10 2021 but the two games we wanted to talk about first off let's talk about knockout city Knockout City. Knockout City is Velen Studios. Sorry, I had yeah, to. Yeah, Velen Studios. It's a team-based action game that's kind of dodgeball knockout, very reminiscent of Rocket Arena. And Splatoon, um, I would say. Yeah, capturing that Splatoon yeah. and uh, you know, a bit of that Fortnite vibe. Yeah. Like we've talked a little bit. There's definitely a lot of games trying to capture this family I, I call it family friendly competitive. Mm-hmm. It's kind of I think that's what it is. Um not yeah. You don't. You don't, don't want to put. I don't guns. want to call it kitty game. It's yeah. It, it's like competitive. It, it's COD, but for but kid friendly. Kid friendly COD. Uh, that still sounds wrong. Yeah, yeah, it's like this thing where I don't want to call them kids games because like they have some of them at least have depth and interesting mechanics. Mm. And I'm just at this weird point where like I, I, games with guns kind of bore me a lot of the time. Unless they're doing something interesting. Like I'm playing a lot of COD right now just because I have friends that play mm. it. But I'm not playing it because I want to or enjoy the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I would much rather play an interesting competitive game that's doing d- different weapons or different gameplay concepts. But this is definitely looking... Plus, it fits into that niche of almost like fake future sport. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm kind of uh, keen on that. So up to 32 friends can crew up, offering a whole new way to customize your experience. And uh, yeah, you go to battle. Um, it just looks kind of neat. It, I want to like point out why this feels different to me than rocket arena because rocket arena Mm -hmm. from the onset didn't 
I don't want to say soulless, but that's the impression I got. I don't know about you. Did you? It's yeah, it felt soulless and it also felt like it was meant to be a free to play game. And mm. EA said, nah, it's mm. not. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, I, I honestly believe if it had have launched uh, as a free-to-play title, it would have done a lot yeah. better at the onset. Do I think it would still be around? Yeah. No. Or, or you know, popular. But, but it would have had a week as opposed to nothing. <laughs> yeah. Also, that game, that, that sports mode that was in mm-hmm. there. You remember the yeah, stock? The- there was something to that. Yeah. Like-, like, don't get me wrong. I think Rocket Arena had legs mechanically. I, I don't think it was as refined yeah. as they thought it was. And yeah. Knockout City doesn't look to be that level of refinement either, but Knockout City feels like it has a lot of passion in it. And the reason I say that is because, well, first of all, it's been around for a bit longer than Rocket Arena, mm-hmm. or, or at least it, I don't know the full development history, but it sounds like it's been around for a while. Yeah, and, it's been in development for four years at EA as part of their EA Originals yeah. situation. Um, but Knockout City has a lot of seemingly experimental stuff, you know? Like... One of the things they showed off in, in State of Play was uh, in one of their modes, hey, do you not have a dodgeball in your hand? Well, your teammate can become the ball and then you can charge it up and yeah. lob them up and then they can land in the middle of an enemy, you know, like cluster. And that's like this big kind of ultimate attack. And it's just these like small tweaks to this solid formula of let's, you know, do team-based elimination that makes it interesting. Yeah, I and I think... Just having some of these games that are trying these different modes and uh, just different takes on what a competitive game can be, I think it's like, I think that's also what made Rocket League so awesome. Uh, And it's accessible. Its idea was accessible. It's like, it's soccer, but with cars, Mm. right? And you're like, oh, that's silly. Oh, it looks Mm. cool. But everyone kind of knows what soccer Mm. is, Mm. right? Um, But I think what is interesting about that game is that it is a very competitive thing that is basic but has depth. And this game looks like it has a bit of that. It's got, like, area control. It's got teamwork and tactics to it. uh, But it's not about how good can you aim. Like, I'm sure some of it is about that, but it's not like... It doesn't seem to be about pulling off the pitch-perfect headshot. It's more about a vibe and a feel, and I would rather play... Vibe and feel. 10 games of that than 100 CODs. Speaking of vibes Um, and feels... Yeah, the other game uh, from this was Solar Ash, which comes from Annapurna and the uh, developer of Hyperlight Drifter. Hyperlight Drifter, mm-hmm. Heart Machine. That's the one. Yep, Heart Machine. God damn, this has a vibe. It has a style. It has a flair. It feels like Hyperlight Drifter in terms of its flow and its look, mm. but um, it's this weird sort of game. It's like a combat platformer that's kind of. It's got a jet set radio vibe just in the way that you roll around the landscape. I was going to say journey. Yeah, it's definitely got that journey sort of sliding down mountain stuff mm. too. It it just looks rad. It's great uh, colors. Also reminds me a little of Darksiders 2. Ooh, I can kind of see that, yeah. Yeah, no. It has yeah. like one of the things it has going for it is it has great colors because Heart Machine, they know how to they know how to sell an aesthetic, I think. Yeah. The thing that I immediately got from this um is this feels like Risk of Rain 2 to me. Mm, the look of it, yeah, totally. Well, not even just the look of it, just the whole thing of, like, if you had have told me, hey, we're making Hyperlight Drifter 2 and it's 3D now, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, what the hell would that be? Mm-hmm. And I know this isn't Hyperlight Drifter 2, gotcha. but looking at it, it's very similar. I'm like, oh, of course that's what it is, and that looks rad. Gotcha, like, you know gotcha, what I mean? Gotcha. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, Heart Machine are making this 3D thing. Yeah. 
I wonder if they could pull that off. Oh, yeah, they could pull it off. Yeah. Like, it's so good. It it looks big. This looks like a big game. Yeah. Like the, the- Yeah, I definitely would say that, Um, like, I, I think Heart Machine was a very small operation mm-hmm. uh, when Hyperlight Drifter was around. Mm-hmm. And they did scale up a little bit after the Kickstarter success, mm. but I would I would like to imagine that he is scaled up significantly. Mm. Alex Preston, there, mm-hmm. um, he's the head of that company. But to get this, because it's fluid, it's so solid. Yeah. Like they definitely would have had to get someone who's done three D three D animation and motion, or someone who learned real fast. Because <laughs> yeah, well, another thing is I am a fan of getting your core mechanics right and then letting the game come out of that later, right? Like making challenges that suit it and it really feels like that's how they did this they got movement down first movement feels like the first thing they did how do we want ray to move feels like the first question they asked and uh, and then built from there cool. yeah yeah it um it definitely is very striking i i have a love-hate relationship with high live drifter i love the idea of playing their game and every time i play that game i just get really bored and step away from yep. it maybe we should play co-op oh it does have co-op, it does yeah. isn't that crazy it's not a game you think about in co-op yeah. but it does have yeah it. yeah but aesthetically and just the vibe yep. of it is is perfect so i'm very keen on this mm, um so yeah and that does it for the news this week not not a huge amount to be completely honest yeah it's all just kind of up the front there with the whole frogwares debacle um let's talk about what you've played what have you played oh uh, you know persona 5 strikers uh the phantom dorks are i miss them they're really Really fun bunch of bunch of kids to hang out with. Uh, I am sorry. I'm thinking about like what do I want to say about it. I am only in the third area of the game so far. I have no idea how many there are. I don't want to know. I like this is the way I approach games. I go in completely blind and I see where it takes me if I can afford it. That is. How many hours have you uh, sunk in so far? I think just shy of twenty. So not not a nice nice not not a huge amount. It it has been there has been work unfortunately in between then and now i love but, how you're like oh yeah 20 hours not much and i'm like oh that's a lot of hours there's <laughs> a difference between it, you it and is I. a lot of hours but you know i did the 100 hours for persona 5 in a month yeah eh, i guess i'm still in i guess i'm still in range of that <laughs> not that i think not that striker is gonna go for 100 hours but you know mm-hmm. what i mean um i've also uh jumped back into deep rock galactic very briefly because deep, the three-year anniversary was up and it gave me a chance to explore some of the new biomes that um, got added to the game, which I didn't have a chance to jump in with when they dropped in January or maybe mid-February. Uh, or, sorry, early February. Um, that game is still good, don't get me wrong. The new biomes are really cool, though. Like, one of the new biomes is this kind of... I can't remember the name of the biome, but it's this decaying wooden thing so like some of the dirt that you have to dig through is just like um rotting wood and it has spikes and spines that dart at you if you get too close to it there are like spiked vines that are dug through the walls and stuff that if you shoot them they're they're like pulsing a bit and if you shoot them they retract away and after a while they come back in they like slink back into the path they were in before very neat um good that time sounds super yeah cool. i have to it's one of those games that I, I'm like, I really need to get back to that. And I just never do because I really do like it. Mm. I like it because it's easy to jump in, do a few things and you can step away and you come back and not much will have changed. At least once you hit a certain point, there's there's definitely a lot of onboarding yeah. with that game. And like getting the initial unlocks is a big thing, but it doesn't try to pick you out with like, I'm going to pad this forever. It, it's very much 
yeah, once you get the initial unlocks, we have more to offer you in terms of experiences, but you have to be in love with our gameplay. Otherwise, you're probably wasting your time here. We're not going to show you much more new. We're going to show you more and in more extreme versions of it. And I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And other than that, um, filling time here and there, Hearthstone Battlegrounds and Magic Gathering Arena. Still fun. I like cards. Nice. Cards are good. Yeah. Nice. That's me. Uh, so we touched Blightbound very briefly. We did. Yesterday. Yeah, we did. That's a game that, um, yeah, the onboarding. Yeah, mm. I need to. We don't need to talk about that. But basically, we're going to be working out a review. But uh, it's been a while since we played it. And I totally forgot how to play it. And then they've completely changed some of it by the looks of it. So now it's just like, I'm confused. <laughs> um, yep. So I have this thing, right, where I play the starts of games more than I actually finish games. I swear. Um, um, I mean, 90-10 rule. And you're part of the people who make that work, right? And so 90% of the people who play your game will only play the first 10%. Yeah. Uh, mm, yeah. I, I, I'm not that bad. I finish a lot of games. Mm. I, I enjoy finishing a lot of games. Mm. But I think this really started for me when I became a journalist yep. because you always have to play the new stuff right. and you're always moving That's on. Right. Um, and then I'll come back to a game that I really like and I'm like, I'm going to finish this and I've forgotten the story or where I'm up to. So then I end up starting it again yeah. and then I get like a little bit further and then, oh man. Um, so that's something I'm trying to get over. But I think with Blightbound, I might need to start again. I'll have to check out that tutorial. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. game's neat. I don't know how much I love it, but it's neat. I'm glad it's around. Mm-hmm. Um, I played uh, Everhood, mm-hmm. which we could talk about finally. Mm. Yeah, because this will be up after. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. So there's a video review out right now. Uh, when you're listening to this on youtube.com forward slash pixels for breakfast, go check it out. I'm not going to have any spoilers here because the game is quite short. It's about, it took me six hours uh, and no, I didn't find everything. So it's about six to eight hours, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, you do unlock a new game plus mode when you finish it. And I don't really know what that would be. But anyway, um, Everhood is basically existential crisis, the game. Uh, um Looking at the trailer and and the vibe from it, it's very much Undertale and Earthbound. And I was like, oh, cool. It's a quirky RPG. And it's not really that. It's very much quirky and it's very much in the same space as an Undertale or an Everhood in terms of it's like, look at all this weirdness going on. Um, But it's very dark and it's talking about uh, mortality and morality and it's reminding you that you're going to die and everyone's going to die. And um, that's kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a thing that I think about a lot and I don't like thinking about it. Um, and this game forced me to, to face that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting. Um, but outside of that too, because of the pandemic, like I think everyone's thinking about that sort of stuff a little bit more. Um, so maybe perfect time or maybe not. I'm not sure. Um, but basically you play as this uh, puppet named Red, who is missing an arm and you find a, another uh, thief dude called Blue Thief who's missing his legs and you team up and you go to find your arm. And that's basically the impetus of the game. And you're going around meeting all these characters and you get into fights with them, but it's not like a JRPG combat system or anything. It's cosmic dance battles on a Guitar Hero note highway, basically. Genuinely um, looks super cool. As in... You know how the yeah I don't know of whoever's listening whether you can remember what it looked what it felt like the first time you saw Undertale's combat system. It, maybe you know 
not quite as dramatic as that, but it has this like such a visceral look. To yeah, it. so you you literally get like the screen does the whole white thing, and it feels like you're going into like a JRPG battle, and then you're on this like note highway, like in Guitar Hero, and your opponent is standing at the end of it, and they're blasting their tune at you, and you're like dodging the notes and jumping over the notes, and sometimes there are wall barriers you need to dodge between, and all this sort of stuff. And it starts off pretty easy, but it starts to get pretty hard as you go through. Mm. And each of these battles has its own unique track. Um, And that makes the soundtrack really more like a collection of moments rather than some background music. So I spent a lot of time listening to um, game soundtracks Mm -hmm. uh, and just music in general. Like music is my jam. And uh, it's really interesting to have just a bunch of tracks that like, you know, you have games, you're like, oh, that music from whatever RPG, like, I remember that it's a good time in my life where this is like, I remember the specific battle and the conversation that led to it and the conversation that happened to it and the horrible things that happened afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so it creates a really interesting sort of relationship through that. And the game is very much about relationships and just weird stuff happens in the game. The game's weird. The game's really yeah. weird. Like, uh, I'm being so careful not to spoil anything. We here. could stop here, but there's something- go watch the review. Go watch the review. Yeah, go watch the review, and then go if that the piques your interest, check it out. Because this is one of those yeah. things where the more you know about it, probably the less good it, the impact. Yeah. What I will say is that the game lives and breathes in your ability and willingness to connect with the story and what it's doing. And if you want like a fun, friendly RPG 20 hour experience with like platforming and combat and stuff, like it's definitely not that, uh, which I think the trailer makes it feel a bit that way, but there are just, it's a surprising game that has a lot of interesting moments. Like you just start, you're in go-karts at one point, like there's lots of crazy things, um, that happen. And there's something in particular in the middle of the game that gives you a purpose out of left field. Like you're kind of just meandering and meeting characters and having an okay, good time. And then it's like, this is what you need to do now. Mm-hmm. And it's very cool. Yep. It's very, very cool. Um, so yeah, I would go check it out. And uh, a really nice touch because as I said, the game is very heavy. Mm-hmm. At the end of the game, they have an email address and they're like, tell us what our game made you feel. Mm-hmm. And uh, I emailed them. I emailed them. Even though I'm doing a review and they're going to be able to see exactly what I felt. Mm-hmm. Um, I emailed them and I think that's really good. Mm. So it's out uh, today for PC and Switch. So go check that out. I played more The World Ends With You. I'm Uh, so happy that you're able to continuously play a single game across weeks because I know that's not a luxury you have often. Yeah, so I've like kind of, I've got two games that I'm alternating between and I'm trying to spend one hour a day, weekdays, um, playing it and I alternate between them. One being Yakuza Mm -hmm. 7. And the other being The World Ends With You. Mm. Um, Yakuza 7, I don't need to talk about it anymore. It's just amazing and I love it. And it's better than Yakuza 0, I think. Even though that one's probably my favorite that I've played so yep. far. Um, how just, It's great and I think... How strange mm, is it for a game to be so excellent and you just run out of praise for it and you just, I don't know how to tell you in different words how good this game yeah, is. Yeah, I think that... What I will... Uh, I'm going to talk about it now. <laughs> <laughs> You've baited let's me go, into Let's go, let's do it. I think... So when I played, so my history with the Yakuza series is that I thought it was a weird Japanese game that was like a bad GTA clone for Japan, yeah. right? That's yeah. how it had been sold to me in the West. Yeah. Uh, and then it was, I wasn't even living in Japan. I didn't even know I was coming to Japan. I got sent Yakuza Zero from the publisher and 
I was like, okay, I guess I'll check this out. Why not? I didn't have anything going on at that time. And the game was 100% not that at all. It's not, it's nothing like GTA. The only thing it has in common with GTA is you're a criminal. Mm. Um, And I was like, oh, wow, this is like a really cool, competent brawler. And it's got like crazy story moments and it's super dramatic. And then I got pulled away from it for whatever reason. And then when I moved to Japan and like I'd been here a little bit, I'm like, all right, I'm going to play this. I'm going to like really play Mm -hmm. this. And we streamed the entire game. and. There is just, it'd be one of my, Yakuza 0 would be one of my top five favorite games of all time, hands down, because of the way that it changed what I expect and want and can believe is possible in storytelling and video games. Mm. The way that they just are able, and it carries over to 7, the way that they are able to just start a thread of something and kind of let it linger and let it breathe. And you have these big moments where it's super emotional and then it kind of just levels out. And then 10 hours later, it kicks back up. They give things the nuance and the time to make sure that they land when they need to. Now, the storytelling in these games, and granted, I've only played these two, so I don't know about the rest of the series, but I've heard they're quite similar. It's not perfect. they, They spend way too much time and being in Japan, I know this is a Japanese thing now where they have to explain to you exactly why something is the way that it is down to the nth degree. Uh, and us in the West are like, yeah, I mean, I inferred that. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that they cannot, they just have to explain to mm-hmm. you. And that's uh, more prevalent in this game than most because there is so much dialogue here. And that kind of sucks a little bit. But their ability to create memorable, meaningful, heartfelt characters who have depth. They, they're not just like, I'm the cute kawaii girl who needs a man to tell me what to do because of Japanese culture. But then they will show the other side of her where she has ambitions and dreams and she does have a backbone yeah. and she'll occasionally be like, okay, no, you've gone too far uh, situation, which that's really interesting because I feel like on one hand, the game does not treat its, I'm specifically talking about seven. It does not treat uh, Psycho and other women in the story in what I would deem to be an acceptable or or, um, respectful way. But I also think they are trying to make a statement with that because Japan is very much like that. Which I feel like Zero, that's not the case. I feel like the women are just treated the way they are because they're women and it's a cool game and it's about cool gangster guys. Mm. I feel like... In seven, they are trying to make a statement with that, but they don't take it far enough. So it's a bit ambiguous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I also think that like there are just other characters here where they show different sides to them that a normal game would just be like, well, he's the cool guy who beats people up and he's the guy who likes this and he's the guy who likes that and she's the side character. Like I feel like they have depth and they're more well-rounded than other characters. Mm. And that to me makes the boring parts of that game because there are boring parts, but that's what carries me through is that there's just so many nuanced, interesting things and you'll meet characters for side stories and never see them again, but they're so well-rounded and put together. It's very interesting. Yep. But yeah, I think I bring up the, the way that um, women are portrayed in seven in particular, because I think it's very easy and I think everyone's done it like, especially like Bayonetta too. And, and, um, Nia and games like that where sometimes there's questionable things you're like oh, well it's just an anime game it's just okay it's just Japan yeah. um, and I feel like 
for the first time, this series is trying to say something a little bit, but they don't, they're kind of scared to go the full way with it. Um, and that's a little disappointing. Like, like for example here, this is like the male characters in this game, like you can change jobs and they have like five different jobs each and all these different outfits. And like psycho can be a hostess Mm -hmm. or an idol. And I think one more, right. And it's like, she can't be any of the other professions that the other guys can be. And it's just stuff like that where you're just like, I mean, okay, if you are going to have gender roles in this game, which I get it because it's Japanese and that's just the way things are here. And that's not me saying it's right or it's right. Cause I don't think it is. Um, like, but what I'm saying from a cultural perspective, I understand that they have like gender roles, yeah. at, at least give her some more diversity yeah. rather than a hostess and an idol. And I can't remember what the third one is, but I'm sure that it's another uh, position of, you know, objectivity. Yep. Right. Um, so that's where I would like to see improvements, but overall, like I, I just really love the game. And if you think that it's uh, just a GTA clone, like I, I truly believe that within these games, there is something that everyone can connect with, whether it's the story like I've connected with, whether it's the plethora of side ridiculous stories that are just amazing, whether it's the, the like, there's an entire, like, Dragon Quest go-kart thing where you're racing all around Yokohama and different tracks in this mm-hmm. thing. Uh, Yakuza 0 had, like, a slot car world tournament. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much stuff in there. Um, I think they're very... Very good game. Real estate. Um, I mean. Yes, real estate. Well, in this one, you're running a confectionery yeah. shop. That's pretty cool. Senbei shop, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, The World Ends With You is a completely different tone, and um, it's interesting. I really like the game, mm. and I honestly don't know why. Because <laughs> uh, cool. the combat sucks. Yeah. Um, and the-, the story is not super original. I guess I, I like it because it just has a lot of style. Yeah. It has so much style and flair. Yeah. Um, I can definitely see it being way better when it came out. Like its age is definitely showing. Yep. Definitely. And I can definitely see it being way better on the DS, which is built for touch. The switch while it has touch is not built for Mm -hmm. it. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, very, very cool game. I'm about eight hours into that one. Awesome. Um, So yeah, getting my way through. Mm. And the other thing that I touched on uh, was fights in tight spaces. Um, Do you know this game blue? I actually don't. I'm I'm very so, ashamed to say I don't even know what it looks like. So is. this is a Mode 7 joint, which are the publishers behind uh, Frozen Synapse and yep. Tokyo 42, yep, 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 games like that. Yep. So they got a big foothold in strategy. Um, I can't remember that a developer off the top of my head. I am sorry about that. Um, but it is a card game. It's mm-hmm. a deck building game. Yep. Um, with a spy motif. Uh, all black and white and splashes red. of red and color and stuff like Ground that. Ground shatter by and, uh, the developer. Yeah. It, yeah. Ah, thank you. Thank you. And um, you get a deck of cards and they're all moves for these fights. And these fights take place in tight spaces. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a way better John Wick game than John Wick Hex was, which was made by Bithel, I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um, in that you, you go into this room. So, for instance, right, like the first run, like if we're talking, if you're talking Slay the Spire and you have like the first floor, yeah. right? Each floor of this game is like a different um, mission, right? So, I, I only, I'm only on mission one because I got my ass kicked. Um, but it's like I need to take down a biker gang. So, like you're, you're running along this map kind of like um, Hitman Go in that you- 
you go and it's like, okay, so this is the tattoo parlor. And then if you get through that, there's like, you can go to the gym or you can go to this thing or you can go to this and you're slowly moving along until I'm sure you get to the boss. Right. Um, and then, yeah, so you load into like the kitchen and then you're in there and, uh, there'll be goons and then you're using these cards, whether it's like front punch and it'll like punch him and move the unit back or you can sidestep around them and do a roundhouse kick and you're building a combo meter, which the higher the combo meter, the more devastating your attack cards can be. Uh, you have a momentum charge, which is basically like your mana or whatever in terms of your, your currency for playing these cards. Blocking. Um, and if like an enemy is going to shoot you because some of them have guns, they will just, sh- they like, they will aim and shoot no matter what. So you can move and perhaps kick someone into the line of fire so they get hit. And it's just a really smart, cool action-based card game that's like surprisingly works well with a the theme. And then at the if you survive the battle and you finish up, um, there's a replay button which takes out all of the decision timing and just shows the cool action part in real time. Uh, yeah, yeah, in real time, which is super silly because you're doing like all this shuffling and stuff. But it's so cool. Um, it's a really neat theme that on the surface could definitely be seen as a gimmick, but I definitely think it has the depth so far Mm -hmm. Um, because like Slay the Spire, you're, you know, you're winning battles and unlocking cards and you're getting currency and then you go to like the gym um, along the way, which will let you like upgrade cards or potentially get new ones Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, or you go to the medical bay uh, to heal things. And then there are just random events that happen, which like Slay the Spire are usually like choice based. I had one where they had planned a surprise party for me, but I'm a spy, so I knew that. <laughs> and I had an option to, like, it's just text-based. You're not doing anything yeah. yet. Um, but I had the option where I choked everyone out and just ate cake alone, which <laughs> upped my health. <laughs> uh, which, like, it definitely has this weird tongue-in-cheek sort of thing. I, I would yeah. do that. Yeah, it's, so, it's so Steve. Um, but, yeah, I really, really enjoy this. It's in early access, but by the looks of it, they have, like, it's fully playable with, like, a bunch of decks to unlock and five scenarios. And I think they're just basically in early access to do balancing, and then they're not going to add the final scenario, and there's some story elements to be added as well, I believe. Gotcha. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to be doing a, a early access review, but first impression is very, very strong. Like, I thought I would like it because I like deck building games, and I was like, this is a cool theme, and it just looks rad. Um, but I thought it would not have depth to it and touch wood. It's looking like it definitely does. And just a super cool novel take on it that I think will lower that barrier of entry. Cause like, I, I don't know if we've talked about the thing on the podcast, but big problem for me with card games is they're all just fantasy based. Like so yep. many of them, like most of yep. them. And I don't like fantasy and sure. there aren't a, like, even if you put a sci-fi spin on it, like I would be more interested but to put like this, like it's like a spy game that has a bit of tactics and moving to it as well. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's super cool. Yeah. Um, or like Loop Hero, where it does. Uh, there's another deck builder that's coming out today. Actually, go check it mm-hmm. out. Uh, great game. Um, but it just has enough difference where it's like a dungeon crawler with roguelike elements that has de- like a deck building element to it. Like it just makes it feel very different from a regular deck building game. Mm. Um. And I think they're doing interesting things with the law there where I've found a lot of these are very generic fantasy or just like not my thing. Yeah. Theming sure. matters to me, especially like unlike you putting 20 hours into a game is a big commitment for me. Um, so it's really got to grab my attention. And I think fights in tight spaces over the span of like three or four months, kind of like Slay the Spire could become one of my most played games. Um, so yeah, very cool game. 
very, very keen to play more of that. Awesome. Sounds good. In terms of other things, um, I'm thinking of getting Final Fantasy X. Have you played like, it before? Really? I've never played a Final Fantasy game for longer than a few hours because they're not my thing. But I listened to Into the Aether, which is a yep. much better video game podcast than ours. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> and I've just become obsessed with the idea of I want to play this game. I should play a Final Fantasy game. And I think 10 is going to be the Man, one. So. God, I wish we were in like physical proximity so I could just be on the couch while you played it. Because that would be <laughs> such a good... I'll just stream it to you. I, I don't know what it is. I really like watching... Um, people play. I really like. Let me correct that. I really like watching interesting people play single player games. Uh, and you're an interesting person. <laughs> and why would you want to watch me? No, because uh. it's super interesting. I'd love to like have your perspective on things and and stuff like that. I don't know. Final Fantasy X is not a perfect yeah, game, but I yeah, liked it. I, I, for me, like seven is just too old. Like I've tried to play it, and it just. <sighs> I'm not a retro gamer. Like, outside of the few games that I absolutely love, like Super Mario World, I play that every day for the rest of the eternity, right? Mm. But I didn't play Final Fantasy VII at the time, so I'm not... It's just too rough for me. Um, yeah. I feel like Ten is a middle ground where it captures that uh, golden era of Final Fantasy, um, but it's new enough that I can go back to it, and they've got those HD remasters of it, and, like, yeah, so I think I'm just going to get it on the switch and Ooh, that's a super town. interesting thing to say yeah yeah it I, it, it totally is still in the golden era i guess i don't know like they they talk about it on no, Aether, no I'd, I'd agree with i'm not i'm not just regurgitating yeah i'm not regurgitating that but i like even talking to mesma like he was kind of like yeah it's like it's old but it's still like in that classic vein especially before you know like lightning returns and mm. you know Final Fantasy 15 and stuff, which I like when I think of Final Fantasy now, I think of 15. Like I think of that era of Final Fantasy yeah. and around that. And um, then I'm looking at 10. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like because I think the one that I played the most of was eight. I want to say mm-hmm. eight or nine. Mm. Um, God help you if it was eight. So like that's that's my reference of that's yeah. Old Final Fantasy. Yeah. To me. So um, the reason I was kind of taken aback is because. A lot of people would say Golden Era was the the 16-bit and before, right? And then mm-hmm. Silver Age is the 7 onwards. But obviously, yeah. they gained the most fame and momentum from 7 onwards. So the the sensible way to say it is that, yeah, that maybe not the Golden Age, but the Renaissance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Yeah, I mean... No, but I, I see what you like, mean when <sighs> you say that. And I can totally uh, get behind that sentiment. Because 10's sphere grid is so good. I so many things, not even just games, but so many things have uh, uh, approached that aesthetic and design, and I I don't think they've ever gotten quite as much out of it because the game has no, no real game ever dares to be as long as as ten is, other than Path of Exile, right? Path of Exile is the one game that I can yeah, uh, yeah. it it kind of like took the sphere grid to the next level, but the sphere grid really makes ten such a fun rpg to even replay because you can build a character so many different ways and they don't change that much yeah right. they don't change that much mm-hmm. but marked changes you know i i, I mm-hmm. liked 10 mm-hmm. a lot not it's not in my top final fantasies but i really quite enjoyed it i'm super keen to see mm. if you will as well i hope you do. um there's a lot to like about that game there's also a lot to dislike about but it's got blitzball and that's like a fake sport so that's honestly why i want to play it let's be honest i Um. i (laughs) vividly remember a night where i just lost two hours to blitzball and (laughs) and and i'm just like why why did i 
do it i think the reward was worth it like not not now but like in the moment i was just like i think that reward was worth it but man that was like two hours i think i enjoyed it i think this ball's fun but why do i never <laughs> want to go and play it again doesn't that mean it's not fun you know that like that that like conflicted feeling of i'm pretty sure i had fun while i was playing it but why do i never want to go back now that i've gotten that reward you know? yeah um, yeah i feel you i know exactly what you're yeah talking. it's a super interesting one do let me know do um, keep us all up to date uh, yeah, I will. Well, I mean, it's going to be a while because we've got Monster Hunter Rise coming mm. out. I also am going to play Fire Emblem Three Houses because I've owned it since it came out and I've never played <laughs> yeah, it. Fair and I'm and and I want to play Persona. So, but yeah, it's it's on my mind. So mm. who knows? It might start sooner than I think. Uh, anyway, I think that wraps up the show. Uh, as we said, the housekeeping stuff. We have uh, Everhood video dropping right now. Go over on YouTube, check it out, give it a like, subscribe. Uh, have an existential crisis with me. Um, we also have an interview coming up with Phenotopia Awakenings developer on pixelsbreakfast.net, plus some like extra awesome uh, columns over there. Make sure you go check out Drew's Wish You Were Here column. He's already working on his second follow-up piece, which will be from Haven, which I'm very excited about because I really love that game. Um, Blue, any final words? It's a hard world out there. Be good to each other. Yeah, please be good to each other. And as always, don't forget to pixelate your breakfast.